Well, hello, everybody. Welcome this weekend, and uh, everybody's joining us online all over the place. Good to see you guys and everyone at Montrose as well. Uh, thanks for gathering together. Uh, we started a series last weekend that I'm excited about called What Are We Known For? And we started talking about Jesus' heart and how unless our heart is connected deeply or intimately to his heart, then we can't really download his vision, his passion, or have clarity in the calling of our own lives. And we talked a lot about how that's an important thing, that as I connect with God, as I walk deeply with God, as I allow God to, to Bible uses words like renew my mind and change or transform my heart, unless I do that, <clears throat> then I'll never see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. And you can reverse engineer that a little bit. If you don't see the world the way Jesus sees the world, it's like a, a flag or a warning sign that probably your heart isn't in sync with his. And so we talked about that quite a bit, that from that place of like depth and intimacy and like deep relationship with God, from there God births a vision in us and it's always reflective of his heart and his mind. And we, we talked about this idea that this vision is kind of easy to see in Jesus' teachings. One of the places, there's a gazillion, but one of the places that we found it and remembered it was uh, Matthew chapter nine. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So I pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. And we talked about how that is really, really important that these fields are his and that we're supposed to be in them. So in a world that has radically changed very, very quickly, our world has gone through so much change that nobody knows what to do with it, right? The church doesn't, schools don't, families don't, sports teams don't, you don't, I don't. Like it's just, it's kind of up in the air right now. And as we're all trying to figure that out, we said that we have to realize that those fields are Jesus's. Jesus did not lose control of the planet and he did not lose control of the culture. He has tilled or broken up a hard soil and brought it up so that life can be brought into it. So that's important because a lot of times what we would perceive as a collapsing culture, Jesus would see as a ripening harvest. He would say, look, look out there, those people with questions and confusion and, and insecurity and anxiety, those fields are ripe for harvest and my people, I want you to have my vision of how you see those things. Well, that takes a connection to God. Because I, I'm like you, we're all the same. I like it best when everything is stable and steady and benefiting me. That's how I like the world to operate. So when it doesn't operate that way, if I'm not connected to Jesus, I'll long for that or be angry about it. As opposed to picking up my confidence, picking up my peace and my security from him, and when I do that, and that infects me and affects me, it allows me to have the vision he has. I see the world the way that he sees it. And he sees that world as a harvest place, okay? So we started talking about that last week. And uh, if you missed it or you wanna catch up on it, website, uh, online, on the app, podcast. 
And uh, I actually, I don't actually buy my own sushi, but if you buy me sushi, I will come with my notes and I will re-preach that sermon for you. But I will take an offering at the end of it. You just need to know that. But, um, but catch that. I think, I think there's, it's a good foundation for all of us to kind of lock into a little bit and to get that vision for things, okay? Now, what I wanna start doing this weekend is I wanna start uh, having a conversation that's gonna have two parts to it. So we're gonna talk about the, the first part this week and then we're gonna have to finish this conversation next week. It's just such a big thing. So if I'm a follower of Christ and I wanna view the world the way that Jesus views the world, I wanna look to the harvest and see that it's ripe and I wanna go into that harvest field, why am I going into that harvest field? And, and the answer to that why question, the way that we answer that here at Grace is a little phrase. We say that we go into that harvest field to make Jesus make sense. So in order to make Jesus make sense to people who he doesn't make sense to, the first thing I have to do in order to make Jesus make sense is I have to see people the way that Jesus sees them or I'm going to give them a false narrative of who he is and I'm gonna tell them that he wants something different than he actually wants, right? So I have to pick up this vision with like a clarity so that I can express the heart and the mind of God to, to folks around me with that, with that same clarity, okay? So I wanna talk about that for a little bit, and I wanna do that next two weekends, but I wanna start this weekend by talking about, kind of in clear terms, how Jesus sees what he calls the harvest. The harvest is just a metaphor, right? It's just a, it's a descriptor. And so he's like, there's a harvest and a harvest field, it's all metaphorical, and I want my people to go in there as the harvesters, so when Jesus looks at that field, what is he seeing and how do, we need to, how do we need to see it and line our hearts up with it, okay? So the way that I wanna try to explain this is I wanna try to explain this by showing you like a spectrum, right? And show you the extremes and then the, the middle of the spectrum, okay? So we'll, we'll look at this. So when you think about this like on a spectrum, on one side of the spectrum are people that God would look at and say, these people freely follow me. So these are my followers. And that is the extreme of a spectrum. Now, it's important that you remember that. If you are a follower of Jesus, not a religious person, but a follower of Jesus, a person who has said, Jesus, I agree with who you say you are and I agree with who you say I am. Like we're in agreement. And I have, I have turned from my sin, you have forgiven me, and what I, wanna, what I want to define and direct my life is me understanding how to follow and love you and love people like you love people, right? That's what it means to freely follow Jesus. If you're a person who would look and say, that's me, then I'm in that freely follow Jesus, not perfectly follow Jesus. I'm just not like, I'm, I, I want, I've decided I wanna do this and I do it like on my own uh, volition, right? I freely follow Jesus. What you need to remember, and this helps you when you understand the harvest, is that you are actually on an extreme. You're actually on an extreme. You're a weirdo. And some of you in multi multiple layers. But, but you're, <clears throat> you're a weirdo if you say, I want God, Jesus, to define and to direct my life. Most people who say that they're Christians don't even mean that. So most people who say that they're Christians, I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical of them, but most people who say that they're Christians think of that culturally. Like I'm not Muslim, 
I'm not a Buddhist, I'm a Christian. So most people say they're Christians, they live culturally. So even within that camp, the person who's like, no, like I wake up every day and like I wanna know God's heart, I wanna know God's mind, I actually wanna like make it my heart, mind. I freely follow Jesus. You are on an extreme of people on planet Earth, right? That's part of why people on the other end of the spectrum look at you so odd. You think that they're against you, they're not against you, they just have no idea what you're doing. It feels like a cult to them, like you're radical, you're out of control, you're radicalized, that you would do that, and God would define your morality, and he would define your finances, and you go to Grace Church, and you wanna know what the Bible says, and you have communion, and you wash each other's feet, like all this weird stuff. Why would you get dunked in water? It's super weird if you have no context for it. So the Bible would say, when kind of talking about the Bible, the Bible would say there's people over here, and when God looks at the people over there, what he sees is his children. The Bible uses all these metaphors. So he's like, these people are like my children, my body, uh, my family, my church, all these descriptives of people who say I freely follow Jesus. And when God looks at you, his perspective of you is that. He's like, yeah, there's no condemnation. Uh, they, they have their salvation. They're secure in that. They serve me out of love and joy. They're doing it freely. They're not serving me because they're trying not to go to hell. They're serving me because they love me and want to serve me. Like, that's how I view those people. They are my children and my family. And that is one extreme of the way that God would kind of look at people on planet Earth, okay? Now, the other extreme of people on planet Earth and how God would view them is people who resent God. People who resent God. And so these people are people who look and say, I know what God says, or at least they would think that they do, and I don't care. In fact, I'm kind of angry about it. Like how dare God define my morality, or how dare God send me to hell, or how dare God say that Jesus says that his way is the only way to heaven, what about my way? How dare God allow evil things to to happen in the world? Where is he? And for whatever reason, there's like a a gazillion reasons, they have hardened their heart and they've closed their mind and they said, I want nothing to do with God. And I really don't care what you say and I really don't care what he says, I'm close to that. And I have a resentment toward God. Now, the Bible would address people on this extreme also. And generally, when the Bible addresses people on this extreme, what the Bible will warn about or what God will warn about is judgment. Judgment. Like, the Bible would look at a person like that and say, God would look and say, listen, uh, if you reject me and you resent me, there's really bad news Like there really is a hell. Uh, People really do send themselves there because what eternity is, eternity is the eternal, is the trajectory of your life played out eternally. I wanna know and follow God. I go to heaven, I get to know and love and follow God. I don't want anything to do with God. I reject him. Then God's like, okay, you you can live life without me. It's called hell. And so God will look at people like that and he'll say, I want you to know that. Uh, the Bible will say things like this. The Bible will say, if, if we continue to reject and resent God, 
that he will turn us over to our sin. You wanna live life without me and you wanna live life without me in those ways? Okay, I'm not gonna fight you, I'll leave you alone. Uh, The Bible will say he'll sear our conscience. You tired of feeling guilty for your sin? You know what, you don't have to feel guilty anymore. Do what you wanna do, right? I'll let you have what, what you want. In fact, here's a little side note for you. When we stop feeling the conviction of sin, we're in trouble. Like we're in trouble. Because that, that is not God like giving in because you won't leave him alone. That's God turning you over. It's actually an act of judgment. If you, fine, you do what you wanna do, right? And God will look at people in that extreme and he will say, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that it's not gonna end well but you have decided that you hate me for whatever reason, so I'm gonna give you over to that. Now, I want you to hear something. Are you listening? Everybody listening? If you're washing the dishes right now, put them down and listen to me, okay, because it's really important. God does not stop loving them. That's not true. He does not stop loving them, and he does not withhold their love. This is not God withholding his love, this is people rejecting his love. They resent God, the feeling is not mutual. So this is not the withholding of love or the rejection of a person, this is their heart, right? And anytime, and there's examples of this in the Bible, anytime that they decide to turn to God and ask for forgiveness, he will forgive them, right? He's eager to forgive but he will turn people over, okay? So you got these two extremes. You got people who freely follow God and then you got people who like resent God, okay? Now, this is what happens. Oftentimes for people who follow God who are in this extreme, you're an extremist, right? People who are on this extreme, when they think about the harvest, they think about those people. They're like, they won't listen and they don't care and they're protesting whatever and they hate Jesus and they hate, and and when we think about the harvest, we're like, see, there's no way that we we can possibly do that, right? When Jesus talks about the harvest, he's not usually talking about this extreme. It's like a different category is how I'm trying to explain it. When Jesus talks about the harvest, What he talks about are those who are lost. So the Bible will use that metaphor. The Bible will talk about people who are lost or people walking in darkness or people who have been blinded. So it'll talk about judgment and there's, you'll see examples of judgment in the Bible. And then you see the the extreme of following Jesus. Like I want, I actually want God to run my life. In the middle, God will often talk about lost people and people who are lost. The Bible will often talk about them in different terms. The Bible, when Jesus looks at these folks, he sees judgment. When he looks at these folks, he sees security. When he looks at the vast majority of people who are lost, the way that the Bible will describe how God views them is it'll say things like God sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Uh, people who are blinded, who need to come to the light or the light needs to come to them. Uh, These folks are often misled, they're often confused, they're often hurt, 
They often feel abandoned or abused. They're lost. And when Jesus talks about the harvest, he's generally talking about that group of people. Not people who hate him and maybe hate you because you love him if you're a Christ follower. But people who don't know any better, they, they don't know to search for Christ, they don't know that the needs they feel are their needs for God. They just fill their life and they fill their heart and their mind with whatever the culture told them to fill their heart and their mind with. There are some people who are radical in their faith and then a lot of them are cultural like a lot of people who say they're Christians are. There's some of them who are defiant of God but most people are just kind of living life trying to get by and make it work, right? And the scripture says that they're lost and that's the harvest field that often Jesus is talking about. Now, what I wanna do this weekend is I wanna look at this middle group of people and I want us to see this two ways. Some of us are lost and I want you to see the depth of God's heart and love for you. I want you to see how he looks at you because we tend to have kind of all kinds of preconceived ideas about what that is like, especially if we've been hurt or misled or abused, right? And so we're, we're, we, we would feel buried under those things. So if we're lost, I want you to see Jesus's heart for you. If you're someone who freely follows, I want you to see the harvest the way that Jesus sees the harvest. Because it's really gonna define how we help him make sense, how we try to make Jesus make sense, and it's gonna really define how we enter into that harvest field that he has created, okay? Now, to do that, uh, we're gonna hang out in Luke chapter 15. So you got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 15, or this is on the app or your phone or whatever you wanna use. Luke chapter 15. By the way, if you don't have a newer printed copy of the Bible and you want one, um, right after service, if you stop by the welcome desk, we'll give you one. We'd love for it to be a gift to you. So if you wanna grab one, if you're watching online, email the office, we'll mail it to you, okay? So, so Luke chapter 15 is an awesome passage because Jesus himself explains how he views those who are lost, right? So we get to hear directly from him. So Luke chapter 15, so here's the context a, a little bit, what was going on, and I want you to see something here. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complain that he was associating with sinful people and even eating with them, okay? Now I want us to see two things before we jump into how Jesus views the lost. I want you to see where Jesus was at and who was mad about it where Jesus was at and who was mad about it. Jesus was associating with notorious sinners and sinful people, even eating with them. Where was Jesus, ready? He was in the harvest field. So Jesus leads by example. He is where he wants his followers to go. So he wasn't, he wasn't in church, he, he wasn't in a monastery, he wasn't hiding, he wasn't afraid to be con contaminated somehow. Jesus was in the harvest field and you'll see him when you read his, his life, you'll see him in the harvest field all the time because he loves the lost and wants to reach them. He, the Bible says he came to seek and to save them, okay? Now, who was mad about him being in the harvest field? 
the religious folks, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they were looking at Jesus and saying, what in the world are you doing in the harvest field? You'll get contaminated. You, you, should, you should be in church. You should be with Christian people. You, you should be studying your Bible more. You should be praying. You should be fasting. You should be following religious rules. Jesus was in the harvest field and the religious folks were mad about it. I want you to catch something. It's really important. You ready? You with me? When we think about people who resent Jesus, we often think about like the atheists and the Satanists and the, like we think about those people. I want you to catch this, ready? Resentment of Jesus, people resent Jesus and they have resentment toward Jesus whenever they do not want the gospel to disrupt their life. So we resent Jesus when we're like, I'm a Satanist. Like we resent Jesus then. We also resent Jesus when we're like, I'm not following his moral ethic. I'm not loving people. I refuse to forgive. You're not gonna define my financial situation to me. Who are you to tell me how I identify? We resent Jesus whenever we resent the gospel's disruption in his life. Are you ready? You with me? I love you. Most people in the Bible who resented Jesus would be sitting in church. They're the religious leaders and the teacher of the law. And what they did, in essence, was they were like, Jesus, you can define and direct me until you can't. These are the people that had him crucified. It wasn't the notorious sinners. Those people were lost. We can resent Jesus and claim the name of Jesus all day long. We can resent Jesus and quote the Bible. We can resent Jesus and grow up in church. All we have to do is harden our heart and close our mind to him changing our heart and renewing our mind. And that's why the Apostle John said, actually, guys, you can't love Christ and hate your brother. You can't love Jesus and have a person in your life that you refuse to speak to. You can't (coughs) love Jesus and be prejudiced or racist or hate an enemy or hate someone who disagrees with you. You can't because the gospel won't allow that to happen, right? So it's a big point. So where Jesus was and who was mad that he was there, is kind of where this whole thing starts, all right? So Jesus is having dinners with notorious sinners. And he's sitting down and associated with them. He knows that the religious folks are mad at him because they actually resent him and they're on this end of the spectrum even though they might think they're on that end of the spectrum. And he basically says, guys, let me explain what lost people are, right? So what Jesus does is he gives a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus made up to explain a point. So he gives a parable, and in this parable, he talks about three different things that are lost, okay? So he starts this parable, and he says this. Jesus told him this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together all of his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous 
and haven't strayed away, right? So Jesus is like, let me explain my heart toward lost people. Here's a metaphor for you (coughs) or a story I made up. Think of a lost person as a sheep that has wandered away. Now, why would Jesus pick a sheep of all things to wander away? One of the reasons why he picked a sheep is because of the nature of sheep. Sheep function in herds. They do not move off in rebellion. They're not cats. They're not evil. They're they're herd animals. So a sheep is not one that's going to run away and reject the herd. They're not going to be like, I'm tired of this herd constraints. And I'm re- they're not going to rebel against the herd. It's not their nature. They're always going to want to be with the herd. So for a sheep to wander off means that it got distracted, that it went exploring, that it lost its way. It doesn't have a hard heart. It wandered somewhere because it had its eyes and its mind on something else, right? Here's the thing with wandering. Wandering's a blast until it isn't. Wandering's a blast until it isn't. A few years ago, I bought Heidi this car for her 40th birthday, so like last year, you know. So I bought this car. I always wanted an old car. I always thought that would be fine. I have to admit, I was imagining like a, like an old Chevy pickup or like a Camaro, but I got this. And so I bought this for Heidi. This is a 1971 Volkswagen convertible. Uh, And I bought it for her. We had this car for a few years. We sold it a few years ago. But the concept of this car was great. The concept was you put the top down on a nice day and you wander around, you take the car for a drive and just enjoy the day, right? And I happen to love doing that. So there's a few days, like by the time it's not too hot hot for a convertible or not too cold for a convertible or it's not raining for a convertible, the four days in Northeast Ohio that I was able to actually drive this car, like I would enjoy it. And I always had this idea. I had this idea that what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get in the car, I'm gonna put on WQMX and listen to country music and I'm gonna drive the back roads and just enjoy the sunshine and enjoy the, the meandering and explore what's out there and have fun and and see what I don't know about Northeast Ohio. And when I would go do that, it would always start off as fun. It would always start off as a blast. And almost every time that I went exploring, there was some point in the process that I was out, I didn't care what the time was, I didn't care what the weather was, because it was nice, and I didn't care how far I was home, uh, far I was from home, until the car broke down which was every time that I took it on on a trip somewhere, right? That's why we got rid of the car. There's nothing wrong with the car. It's the nature of the car is that the car would, it would vapor lock and it would just break down. Once the car broke down, I cared a lot where I was. Once the car broke down, it was very important that someone could get to me Once the car broke down, I really noticed what time it was. Exploring and wandering and enjoying is always a blast 
until it isn't. And lots of folks who are lost are not rebelling against God. We all rebel against God in our heart. I understand the theology of it. But in their mind, they're not rebelling against God. They're enjoying life. They're caught up in a relationship. They love somebody and they feel loved by them. They're not rebelling against God. They're just exploring and wandering. And it's fun and it's enjoyable until it's not. And when it's not, when it breaks down, all of a sudden I need rescued. And when I call God to come get me, so to say, is he mad? Is he annoyed? Is he like, yeah, I told you not to drive that stupid car. What does he do when he has to come get the one who has wandered away? Well, Jesus says, when he finds the sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. Come home. I got you. I know the way. He'll carry it home on his shoulders. He'll say, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. Not, come here and look at this stupid sheep. Look, I found them. They were lost. And now I'm bringing them home. He'll say, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven for one lost sinner who repents and returns to me. That's how I view you. Right? You don't resent God. You're lost. And people, even when they're wandering and exploring, are going to find themselves in need of rescue. Right? So Jesus says some are wandering and need rescued. And then he goes on with the story. So he keeps on with the story. And he says this. He says, or think of it this way. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep, a, sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So he's like, here's another type of lost person. Some people are lost because they're exploring and they're wandering around. Some people are lost because they've been dropped and they're hurt, and they're abandoned, and they're scared, and they're, they're forgotten about. And in this picture that Jesus is painting, what you would wanna do is personify the coin. You're looking up through that crack in the floor, and you're looking and saying, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I don't feel like I necessarily put myself here. I didn't run away, I got left, right? I've had no exposure to faith. My family, my dad, I don't even, my mom, that I've been hurt. We, and what happens when something is lost and it feels abused and it feels abandoned, what that lost thing has a terrible time doing is trusting. So when you're standing over something that's lost and you're like, you need to trust your heavenly father for the forgiveness of your sins. 
father. You mean the guy that walked out? You mean the guy that abused? The guy that abandoned? Why would I want to trust a father? You need to come to church. It's your problem. You need to come to church. Church? Where they hurt me when I was little? Where they rejected me when I asked a question? Where they were allowed to have their sin, but I wasn't allowed to struggle with mine? Why would I want to be with a group of people like that? You need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith? Do you know what happened the other times I've tried to trust somebody? And that coin, that coin didn't put itself in that floor. But if you personify that coin, it's been thinking some thoughts why it's down there. And I know I don't want to be here. And I see the other nine. I know there's like something missing. But I don't know if I trust the hand that's reaching down to pick me up. And Jesus would look and say, yeah, that, that person's lost. They're not being a jerk. It's pretty actually reasonable why they would feel some of the ways that they feel. It's pretty reasonable that they would beckon you with one hand and push you away with another one. Because they're, they're not just doing that. There's a reason that that is the reflex in their life. So what would Jesus want a person who's lost, like the coin is lost, to know about his heart? Well, in this part of the story, Jesus is the woman. And so the Bible says this, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? See, when you're down on that floor and you're lost like that, if, if, you, if you could... Let your guard down for a second. You would start to see that God's been looking for you. That time that you shouldn't have woken up, but you did. That time that, that God spared you, that he helped you, that he protected you. There's those times too. And if you look back, sometimes you can see that God has been searching all along. That time that that Pastor Jeff guy talked in church and I listened. And the Bible says that Jesus is searching for you. He doesn't give up on you. He's not angry. He also knows that when you say, I don't want anything to do with you, a lot of times you're saying that out of pain, not out of a hard heart. And so he pursues. 
and he pursues and he pursues. And when he reaches down for you, when there's that moment when you can see past the people who did things in his name and see the savior who's actually pursuing you, see past the people who misrepresented him and see the one who gave his life for you. When he reaches down for you, if you would reach up to him and take his hand, the Bible said that that's the greatest thing that ever happened. Rejoice with me. I've been searching and searching. I never gave up. Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. The same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. The word repent just means turn around. And embrace the hand that you're used to pushing away. God sees, he empathizes, he cares, he knows. He's not offended, he's just not gonna give up. The third part of the parable Jesus talks about a son. So he's like, sometimes those who are lost were just like out doing their thing and the car broke down. Sometimes those who are lost have been dropped and they're abandoned and they're just hurting. And then he's like, sometimes those who are lost walked away. And that's what the son did. So he says this, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told the father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed up all of his belongings. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all the money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The younger man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came back to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the higher servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'm gonna go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please Take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the fine robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening up. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Jesus is like, some, some of us are like, wandering. we just don't know our need for God, or maybe we don't care, or maybe the car's been running fine, but it's gonna break, like they always break. And when it breaks, I'm gonna come get you. I love you. I'm gonna carry you home. Some of us have been dropped forgotten about, abused, abandoned. And Jesus is like, I am, I am not, I never and will never give up on you. I, I understand why you would respond to me that way, but that's not my heart. And then Jesus says, and some people are lost because they walked away. They're like, dad, give me the money. And some of us are lost because of that. We grew up in a loving spiritual home. Maybe that was our family, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a church. 
and you grew up in Sunday school and, and like people were safe and they did love you and they tried, it, maybe they weren't great at it, but they tried to teach you about God's heart. You grew up in a, in a youth group and nobody was perfect, but like you were accepted and you were loved and you were invited to things. You have friends from college and they did welcome you in and they weren't jerks and they weren't hypocrites. Or you got a grandmother or a grandfather, but you had a spiritually loving home. And somewhere along the line, you looked at that home that was full of spiritual wealth and you looked at your heavenly father and said, I just want the money. Just bless me. Give me the blessing, I don't want the relationship. So bless my life, prosper me, bless me, give me health, give me wealth, give me what I want, but I don't want the relationship, I just want the benefits of it. And we've gone out into the world and we've engaged in whatever we've wanted to engage in. And we've rejected God for a time. I don't want control. I don't want to know. Dad, I just, bless me. And it's wild living. Wild living always leads to famine and famine always leads to a pig pen. It's as predictable as the day is long. And wild living life away from God while wanting the blessings of God and now the relationship's gone, and now the friends are gone, and now the addiction is set in, and now the debt is overwhelming, and now the wounds are there, and now the anxiety is just welling up. And in those moments, what happens is what happened to the son. What the son did, I want you to catch this, the son remembered who loved him. He remembered who loved him. When I f nobody will even help me. And in that despair, I remember when somebody loved me. I, I remember when I was a kid and my Sunday school teacher was glad to see me. Nobody's glad to see me. I remember when I was in youth group. And our, our, I remember when I went to camp and it was, I had such a blast. I remember in college, like when, when I felt close to God and like we would read the Bible and then we would do crazy. It was, I remember there was a group of people at like a church or a part of my family and they accepted me and I'm so alone and I'm so broken down and I'm so worn out. And he remembered who loved him and his thought was, one of the other translations says, he came to his senses. His thought was, I should go home to the ones who loved me. And so he got up, smelling like the pig pen and he went home. And the Bible says that he then had to encounter his father. And in this part of the story, Jesus is the father. So what did the father see from a son who wanted the wealth but didn't want the relationship and only came home because he was starving, smelling like a pig? The Bible says this, while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. I've been waiting for you to come home. It's fascinating. The son's like, I'm here, dad, but like, will you take me as a servant? He's like, no, I will not. You're my son. Dad, I'm going to grovel before you. Get up. My boys don't grovel. You're my son. Dad, I blew all the money. I never cared about it in the first place. You're my son. You have come back to where you belong, and you've come back to where I want you. This son of mine was dead and has returned. He was lost, but he's found now. I don't care what you've been doing. I don't care what happened in your life. I, I'm just glad you're not dead. And I want you here with me. Somebody kill the cow. Somebody wash him up. Get him a change of clothes and let the party start. Because my heart is not revenge or retribution or demotion. My heart is restoration. And I just want you home. The lost sheep was carried home. The lost coin was lifted up to home. The lost son, home was waiting for him the whole time. Jesus' vision, his heart for the harvest or the lost, these are all his words. This is his story. I didn't make this up. This is his story. His heart for the lost is crystal clear. The harvest is never held in contempt by Jesus. He never looks at you and says, you're a dumb lost person. Jesus always is pursuing, waiting, and searching for you. You can even harden your heart, and he still loves you. And when you've lost your way or never even knew that there was one, Jesus is passionate. He loves you. He'll carry you. He'll help you. And he'll restore you. He just wants you to come home, the place that you were created to be. All right, would you pray with me? Because I know that all of us in the room, Montrose online, I know that amongst us, some of you are feeling lost. And I want you to know God's heart. He's calling and beckoning you home. And maybe this weekend that is making sense in a way that it has never made sense before. 
and you're feeling something you've never felt before. In our last service, I talked with a gentleman and he's like, I, I feel like God wants me to come home. And he came home, turned from his sins, ran into his father's arms. That feeling is not emotional, it's spiritual. And that tug and that pull, that is a loving God saying to you, I see that you need me to carry you. I see you under that floorboard. I'm waiting at the front door. Just come home. And I encourage you to do that. You don't, you don't gotta come forward. There's not like this magic prayer that you pray. But in your heart, you move toward the one that loves you so. For those of us who say that we freely follow, if our heart toward the lost isn't aligned with Jesus's heart toward the lost, then we're out of step with Jesus. It's just the way that it is. And he's not necessarily mad at you either. He just wants you synced up. Where was he? He was with the lost. Who was mad about it? And our vision for the lost usually exposes our heart way more than it exposes their heart. And that burden or that conviction that you feel is a loving God calling you to fall in step with him. Jesus, would you meet us in this place? In your kindness, would you call us to yourself? Would you work in our hearts, God? And would you allow us to receive what you want to give us?